Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Boom. I've solved the Google and paid advertising problem. At me search, Brad. My consultant <laughs> fee is a billion dollars an hour. Let's go. <laughs> hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your podcast that helps you grow better today and tomorrow. As always, I am your co-host, Kit Bodner. I am joined with my friend, marketer in every aspect of life on all problems, Kieran Flanagan. (laughs) And we are talking about a subject that is near and dear to our heart. Sometimes we have some jokey intros. This is a serious topic, everyone. Very serious. So we're going to get straight into it. We're talking about customer acquisition today on Marketing Against the Grain. And Kieran, customer acquisition, that game has gotten crazy hard it is hard if you're trying to build your marketing career in the next 10 years versus marketers who grew their career in the previous 10 years why that is going to look much harder to do the things that we've used to do to scale and grow businesses all right so we want to open this show up with a take for everyone kieran and our take is that customer acquisition was the leverage over the last 10 years of how you grew a business it is not the leverage of the next 10 years customer acquisition is not just harder, it is getting harder every day. Right. And there are a lot of compounding factors that are making customer acquisition harder. Fragmentation of search, the rising competition in paid ads, the list goes on and on. Do you agree with this take, Kieran? You want to add to it? What are you thinking? I think one of the interesting things, I read a great article from The Atlantic on Google, is Google a dying search engine? And I don't think it's like, People are questioning, is Google a good product anymore? I think it's an amazing product. The problem for marketers is they are really going to deliver, I think, on something called searcher intent, which means their AI will get so good, it will know what you want to get without needing to match your like keywords to the words in the page, right? Mm-hmm. It will say, oh, Kip, this is what you want. He doesn't need to have the words on the page. They kind of know through like history, previous data, searches, all of this stuff, like here's actually what you want, Kip. Yes. That is a problem in terms of how we have marketed to date. We've optimized our content. We kind of know what people are searching for. We kind of know why our page loosely is getting into the top 10 of Google. In the future, if you kind of go towards the searcher intent world, much harder to know why content is appearing and why other content is not. Well, and it's also going to be harder if you're a challenger brand, if you're somebody new in a space, because there will be a de facto top answer and you have to do much, much more to become that top answer because of the track record, the algorithm, the history that's led to people finding that answer to begin with. And this is why in the main segment of the show, we're gonna talk about all the ways you might wanna think about acquiring differently in the future. But if you are listening today, the core thing we want you to understand is wow, customer acquisition used to, it was never easy, but it was way easier, 10X easier five, six, seven years ago than it is today. The reason for that is because there are new platforms. Yes. Or growing platforms like Facebook, Twitter, Google search was still growing. You had all of this disruption in terms of the way you could reach your audience. I don't think there's as much disruption that has happened over the past five years because those companies have grew into monopolies and they just copy and kill every other company. So there's not a lot of disruption in terms of 
things that acquire mass amounts of audience, which means marketers do not have, you know, a plethora of different ways that they can actually market to those audiences. And I think that's one of the things we're struggling with is the death of competition through monopolies and then the lack of evolution and new options to reach audience and do distribution. Yeah, so let's break this down for everybody listening. I wanna give us a summary of the problem statement, then I wanna go into what companies and leaders should think about doing in the future. So the problem statement here is you have aggregators, Google, Facebook, and the like, who have grown up, matured, and have a higher pressure to monetize so that the low-cost organic distribution is much harder. That's one. Two, you have much more noise in society and consumers consuming content and discovering and searching for content on a whole host of different channels, not just a couple. Right. And so you have to be everywhere or be a few places really, really great, both of which are hard and both of which are really expensive, right? And that is really, really challenging. Right. And the third part of that is a lot of those ways to be discovered are not as measurable and direct response driven mm, as yes. things like traditional text-based search within Google. Exactly. And so that makes your return on investment, that makes the math you're trying to do, how you think about investing in different strategies much harder to determine. Right. And those are like the three root causes for why this is all getting much, much harder. Now, Kieran, this would be a pretty gloomy show if this is where we ended right now. That's the show. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Play the music. See you later. Bye. We can't leave everybody who's listening hanging here. Right. So what's going to change? How, if you are, you know, you're a marketing leader today, you're a CEO today, like how do you think about this customer acquisition problem going forward? I got some ideas. I know you got some ideas. Kick us off. Yes. One thing I just add into the hot take, I know this is a little bit out of context, but I want to just really reiterate this. I don't know if there will ever be a platform like Google that is such a great platform to grow a business from, right? Because it is so near to the transaction. People search for something, you can appear for that thing, and then you can actually transact them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if any of the replacements will ever be as powerful in terms of how good it is or how powerful Google is in terms of your ability to grow a business from it. But there are some places, right? Because what is marketing? It is a reflection of Consumer behavior. Absolutely right. It is an accelerant of consumer behavior. So people choose to use Google and marketing kind of accelerate that behavior by adding more value to Google because by doing that, they can extract people onto the website. So where, where do we think consumer behavior will go in the future? I think that is an interesting question to pose. We have to start with Web3. I was not going to start here. So go ahead, though. I want, I want you to make this case. Yeah. So we go to Web3. Why did I start here? I also was not going to start here because I thought, wow, I should just like take a break from talking about Web3 because it's <laughs> just getting pounded upon. Totally. There was an incredible Twitter thread from a woman called Tasha. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes. You should go follow her. She does really in-depth breakdowns. One of the places that I am very fascinated by in Web3 at the moment is tokenomics. Spent all of my weekend reading tokenomics. By the way, yes, Kieran has really fun weekends in case everybody's oh, wondering. So much for tokenomics and chess. <laughs> oh, what has my life become? You're so lucky to be your friend, man. Okay, so where are we going? She broke down tokenomics. Today, tokens could be an incredible driver of growth for businesses in the future. Today, they are an incredible driver of speculation and liquidity. That is the core problem with Web3. What she thinks is the crypto winter will get us back to token as utility. For our listeners, what we mean by that is you can use token to have people just speculate on the price of your coin, or you can have token as utility to drive some sort of behavior within your ecosystem. 
token as utility is much more interesting, right? Much more interesting. I can incentivize people to do things within my ecosystem. Two ones I would love to give you, Kip, and I would love to give them in sequence and have you react to each one. The first one is loyalty programs. Now, I will say when I read these, I thought it was a great breakdown, but I was like, mm, they're kind of like not game changing, but I still think they're interesting. Mm. Loyalty programs are made better. I collect I collect points when I fly. Let's imagine I collect points when I fly. <laughs> Today, I get those points and I can use them for myself. So I have a couple of first class tickets waiting for me for Aer Lingus because I've collected so many points. Two years ago, they've let me keep them because I haven't flown that much in the last two years. In the future, I could collect those points and I could sell them on the secondary market. What would that do? It would incentivize me to collect more points and it will incentivize new users to join to collect points so they can sell them on the secondary market. Yep. New user growth and user retention. Let me pause. How do you feel about loyalty programs and tokens to drive new user growth and better usage? So there are a couple things. One, one of the things I was going to bring up was customers and growing through your customers. And remember, in a world where customer acquisition is harder, customer retention is more important. Mm. Great point. So I think the idea of loyalty and referral programs being more important in the next 10 years is absolutely right. And I think that's one of the takeaways that I would leave for everybody here is think about how you boost customer retention, lifetime value of your customers, and how you help your customers market influence new potential customers for you. You know, And that's essentially the point you're trying to make here, but you're saying there might be some new ways to do it with tokenomics. I think incentives are very powerful. I don't want these token-based incentives to be the only thing that's driving these behaviors because then I'm just collecting and pooling incentives and don't really care about the core companies, the use cases, the values, a value I get from them. So do I think they will have an impact? Yes. Do I think they will be a game changer channel and like the thing for companies going forward? I don't. And I think they will be new ways to incentivize folks for customer referrals and customer loyalty, which I think is great. Right. And I think it will make those programs stronger. That'll be a bigger part of your overall business strategy long term. I don't think they're going to be a huge game changer on the acquisition side of things. Yeah. See, and you would look at that and you think you would say, wow, that's interesting use case of tokens. But God, if that's all, you know, I hope there's more. Yeah, totally. The future's sad if that's the case, right? Let, let me give you more. I again, I think there's better uses of tokenomics to come through the next 12 months. But the other one, which is somewhat interesting, right? One of the ways that you can incentivize early growth is to try to incentivize your user through some sort of compensation to use the product. One of the most famous examples is PayPal. PayPal spent about 100 million incentivizing users to create new accounts. They would give someone $25. They would send that $25 to a friend. For the friend to collect the $25, they would need to create an account to actually get that. It also happens in B2B, like a lot of great product-led growth B2B companies would actually give you discounts on the software based upon how many users you refer into mm -hmm. the software. And that's a whole other discussion because the buyer there is a company and there's debatable if incentivized referrals can really help when they're user-based. But coming back to the PayPal, how can tokenomics help this? Well, it's somewhat interesting, but not like a game changer in that PayPal have to spend that money now, right? They take $100 billion, put it on their balance sheet. The interesting thing about Web3 is it makes your tokens liquid from day one. So you basically have like stock and you can mm -hmm. use the tokens to offset the cost of some of the marketing. So actually use the tokens to grow today. So you're kind of giving away some liquidity in the future to get some growth now. Yeah, you're kind of making a point that there's some balance sheet and like financial management trickery and leverage there, which is cool. I don't think any of this is game changer though. I think this is going to be a part of what happens, but it's not It's not going to be game changer. And I think this was an important couple minutes to give everybody the, the lay of the land to understand that, but it's not going to be the thing. And I think that's the important point is there's not going to be 
a new Google. No. Right? That's your, your point, Kieran, right? There's not going to be one thing. You're going to have to stack together multiple things. Right. So you talked a little bit here about the tokenomics, and I would say more broadly, customer retention, customer referrals through incentives, and, and that that will be a powerful part of the strategy. Kieran, I know you want to talk a little bit about product virality as a way to grow. Give us your take on how that is going to work and influence customer acquisition. One of the things that is interesting is how you make your product more extensible, which is how do you create variations of your product through different ecosystems, through different integrations. It really does help product-led growth companies. You have a freemium version of your plan and you can actually make that extensible and, and grow it into different ecosystems. Let's give some clear, tangible examples. Well, we did this, right? We created a WordPress plugin, which was a extensible version of our freemium plan we built a plugin, we grew into WordPress. People would come in, adopt the plugin, and then they would sign up for the portal and become a customer. So they would come WordPress first and then actually become a customer. That was a way that we could tap in to the WordPress ecosystem. The way we did that, listeners, is we kind of sized up the WordPress ecosystem. We looked at some of the top plugins. We hypothesized how many installs we could get in terms of WordPress. And then we kind of did some basic mental models of, or some basic maths of like, how many WordPress installs, what percent of those become, become Hotspot users and then become Hotspot customers. So that's one way. The other really good examples of this is stores like the Chrome extension store. So Grammarly and Loom, and this was a really good tweet from, it's Greg Einsberg. I know, I know his name, I just wanted to get the pronunciation right, who mm -hmm. writes a lot about Web3 and community. And he had this really cool thing about the Chrome. I was looking at this and then I saw a tweet he had around the Chrome store. This is a really cool stat, right? There's 2 billion users in the Chrome store and there's um, 200,000 extension, which means if you compare that to like the Android store, there's 2 billion Android users and there's millions of apps, 3 million mm -hmm. apps. I think the iPhone store was pretty much similar. It had uh, 2 billion iPhone users and millions of apps. Where in that Chrome store, there's sim similar amount of users, but only hundreds of thousands of apps. So there's kind of like interesting ways that you can grow into these ecosystems. Grammarly are a really good example of this. So Grammarly used to have a paid only plan. We're growing pretty well. Then they actually pivoted to a PLG business, product-led growth business. So they actually had a freemium mm -hmm. tier. And then they actually integrated into Chrome extension. And that really set their growth on fire. Now, the way this works is you actually have to create something that has a linear path back into your product, right? Our WordPress plugin was a skin of our freemium plan. And there was a real tangible use case to get you from that WordPress plugin into the portal. Similar to Grammarly, when you use the extension, is a real reason to go from the Grammarly extension into the core product. And so you really want to be able to make sure that you kind of extend your product in a way where you get leverage in from the freemium plan, you get leverage from building into that ecosystem, and there's a clear linear path back into your core product. Now I have some other examples, but I want to let you react to that, get your thoughts on that. Look, I, I think my summary for everybody listening is I generally agree, but what I would kind of reframe it from product virality, like you're going to have to play in ecosystems and associations and, and, and things to get customers in the future. And so if you're a tech company, maybe you're playing in the Google Chrome ecosystem or maybe paying in the Shopify app store, the HubSpot app store. There's lots of different ways that you could play there, right? If you are a non-technology company, you're likely growing through professional associations, organizations, membership organizations, things like that to basically sponsor, align, and get access to members in new and different ways. And some of those plays are very old. Right. Uh, I think there's going to be new ways of doing those. And a lot of those organizations are still very analog and haven't figured out the kind of digital engagement, digital sponsorship and, and side of things. And I think that will change a lot. But 
what we're basically saying is if you know you have a reasonably sized pool of your target audience somewhere, you're going to have to figure out a, a clear playbook and strategy to go execute and play in that. Maybe that's directly with your product, but more likely it's going to be some type of tangential utility. Exactly. Whether that be in the case of a specific like technology, like a Chrome extension. Right. Or maybe that is if it's a professional organization, maybe it's your teaching an educational course. There's different ways that that will manifest, but that you, you're going to need to build a bridge between that community and your business. And it's that bridge could either be technological or it could be programmatic in terms of content education programs of that nature. Right. And there's also bundling of products, which is kind of interesting, a different variation yes. of that, which is like Spotify and Hulu, right? If you sign up for mm-hmm. Spotify, you can bundle Hulu into the plan. If you sign up with Hulu, you can bundle Spotify into the plan. Like your product could just be more ubiquitous or they could force sharing across ecosystems, which YouTube embeds is a good example of. That was one of the ways they grew early days is having their videos embedded across all of these different places. So I think what we've talked about at the moment is how we think tokenomics could potentially make incentives much better to drive referrals, which again, would you don't, you're not relying on Google, not relying on paid advertising, instead much more relying on, on referrals from your current customer base, your usage base. We've talked a little bit about how you can make your product much more extensible in these different ways, build in, as you said, like build a tangential product or learning asset or something for that community and have a clear bridge into your core product. The other one really is a disruptive business model. Oh, I love this. Yep. One of the questions we always get asked about, hey, why did you guys do a a free CRM? Well, one of the reasons is it was a disruptive business model. Yes. Free disrupted the CRM market because there was really no other versions of, of that product at that time for free. Yeah, you're saying business model pricing and packaging is going to become a really important customer acquisition tool in the future. Yes. It's been underutilized in the last 10 years and people are going to have to use it much more so in the next 10 years, correct? Right. I think that you will have pricing and packaging that aligns the price to consumption. It will grow yep. as users grow. I think you'll add incentives to drive people to valuable actions, which could be through tokenomics or through other things, which is like, how do I incentivize people to more deeply engage with this product? Yeah. And then I, like, how do you really build a true ecosystem around your product? And I have a really example. I kind of mentioned this company to you before. Fortnite. Fortnite? One of the best examples of a freemium business. Just a wildly amazing example of a freemium business. They have 350 million users. Do you know that would make them, if that was a country, that would be the third biggest country in the world behind China and India? 20 million bigger than the United States. Whoa. Maybe get some of the United States politicians into the Fortnite game. We'll leave, we'll leave, we'll leave that to one side. <laughs> All right. So yeah, they are, but why did they nail freemium? Well, they did a couple of things that were super smart. The entire game is for free, right? They actually, one of the few companies, most companies really struggle with this. They give away yes. the core value for free. You can just go play it for free. Well, how did they ever create money if you give the core value away for free? Yeah, that's a good question. Lots of founders struggle with this. Like Evernote, prime example, give away the corporate value for free, never actually created a big business. Fortnite, they had this amazing way of creating ancillary products that really appealed to their users' kind of vanity, appealed to your status in the game. Mm-hmm. They created time-sensitive products, which means they instill a sense of urgency for people to buy these things, and they instill like scarcity within these things, so there's only so many available. And they build a huge business of people buying those things within games, like skins of characters and all these different things that truly made the game better. But the thing that was really important here was the game itself was valuable 
without those additional things that people bought for. Yes, yes. Think about crypto play to earn. It's the reverse. The things are valuable and there's no real usage for the game, mm-hmm. right? Their primary use case was a useful, enjoyable game. Yes. And then they made money on the things that you could buy within the game. The other thing is they created amazing community-driven events. This is one of the things I would love to get your take on, Kip, is I think community-led growth is a terrible name. This is going to be the hell I die for. It's dumb, right? We, <laughs> yes. We've taken something that was product-led growth and we've just made it community-led <laughs> growth. Community is much more of an amplifier of things. It's not like a, a growth engine. It is an amplifier of things. And let me tell you what they did is they amplified their freemium plan by allowing their users to access things like Marshmallow, who's a famous DJ, played event event within Fortnite and all the free users could go to it. So they created community-driven mm-hmm. events to amplify the value of their free plan. What do you think? Uh, I mean, look, uh, first of all, if you're listening to this episode, you should listen listen to the episode with Yulia Bell where we go deep, deep into community-led growth. So I won't rehash the full community-led growth side of this, but I think the point you're making is that community is a huge amplifier of a valuable free experience. Yes. And so, you know, to, to recap for everybody listening, Kieran's saying, use your business model as a growth driver in the future. You didn't use it enough over the last 10 years. Use it much more over the next 10 years. As you're doing that business model, there's some options around free and pricing and scarcity and some levers within that business model to really get distribution. And then to take that distribution to the next level, amplify it through community and bring community together to actually drive engagement as well as distribution. I think those are three amazing points that I completely agree with. We can do this in a future episode because I've got a really catchy name. I'm working on the product-led growth community application loop model. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That sounds thrilling. Can't wait to hear that. Can we make sure we add that to Asana? It's going to just be (laughs) mind-blowing. And then the other thing is they created opportunities to earn a living from the game, right? They have events that actually have millions of dollars in prize money. So what did they... Let's just recap that. Freemium business. Why did they do well? They were able to give the core value away for free. And so they were able to accelerate growth of users because now the core value is free. That's going to help you grow much, much faster. Very hard to do without killing the actual paid version of your business. So they were able to find an incredible balance between, hey, here's the free game that has the core value. And then actually making money on all these ancillary products that appeal to people because they did things like scarcity, urgency, and actually really nailed what their users wanted from these paid products. They created community-driven events that amplified the value of the freemium plan, and they created opportunities to earn. Now, what have I just described? I've described a play-to-earn game. Yep. What I would love to do, actually, is go down the path of how does Web3 make that better? Because that's, that's, yes. that's what I started to think about. Is like, I don't know if it, if it does. It's a very good point. I think it, what it does, it always adds a liquidity layer. It adds a secondary mm-hmm. market layer. So actually, I do think it makes better if there's a secondary market now for the product you buy, mm. right? That is better, but why hasn't it worked to date when you see Axie Infinity crashing and burning? Because they didn't nail the other things. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't get the things that Fortnite got right. You, 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 look, you're totally right. So I think recap the three things that I think you can maybe navigate around the Google and paid advertising Armageddon that is coming. I think we will find new tools and things that will help us incentivize customers to refer other customers. Mm-hmm. I think it will become more measurable. I think it will become a core part of how we acquire users in the future. I think we're going to find much more ways to make our product extensible. And in particularly, if we have this continued growth of product-led growth and freemium plans, how do we make our freemium plans 
extensible into other ecosystems. And I think we're going to continue down this path of finding disruptive business models, pricing, packaging, ways that we can deliver additional value to our customers and grow with our customers and have community as an amplifier on those things. Boom. I've solved the Google and paid advertising problem. At me search, Brad. My consultant <laughs> fee is a billion dollars an hour. Let's go. <laughs> uh, and you even left one off. I think you're going to grow and acquire customers indirectly through media. Yes, I agree with that. Right? You're going to acquire, bring new people in and you're going to increase your, your customer conversion rate. We're not going to go down that media rabbit hole. Yes. We have an awesome episode with Patrick Campbell, CEO of ProfitWell, where we spend a deep, deep dive on the media tactics and how to build a media engine for your business. So go check that out. But I think that is going to be one of the ways that you're going to acquire customers in the future. So we're going to add a fourth in there. So we gave you a crazy problem statement. I think we offered you four really good and real solutions. And, you know, I'm excited about the future. It's going to be different, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think if you are willing to take some risks and try some of these new strategies, you're going to be able to build a much better business two, three, four, five years from now than you would have otherwise. I want things to change. Same. I, I want new problems to solve. I think our listeners should take this as, wow, I'm excited. I can't wait to have to solve new problems. I think I can't wait. There's, there's new platforms, new ways to grow. I think that's where people really earn their careers is being the trailblazers of how to figure out that stuff. I could not agree more. I hope that this was super valuable for everybody listening. Thank you again for listening. Please leave us a review in Apple Podcasts. If you love the show, ask us a question. We will shout you out. And until next time, thank you for listening to Marketing Against the Grain. 